In the summer of 2023, someone posted an InfoStealer to GitHub. The most common form of InfoStealer gathers login information like usernames and passwords. In this case, Sapphire Stealer, as it's known, was open sourced. And soon after, a large group of bad actors who were interested in stealing credentials, access tokens, usernames, passwords, well, they began to modify the InfoStealer as they would any other code on GitHub. Malware kits aren't new. In the early 2000s, you could create your own DDoS attack, your own worms, using custom pre-built packages. They were designed to enrich the creators by having thousands of script kiddies do the work of infecting machines worldwide for them. It was the beginning of a tiered structure in which the lowest tier was the one tasked with spreading the malware. The script kiddies, who didn't understand the malware, only that they could use it, they were downloading and launching the attacks. Something similar is happening with Sapphire Stealer. The criminal community has modified the code so they could be used to scrape credentials which could later be sold to another bad actor who ultimately might use it as a ransomware attack. Even then, the ransomware we see today, well, it started to bifurcate. There's the traditional encrypt all the data and ask for ransom, and if that doesn't work, threaten to release any exfiltrated data. Then there's the groups that only exfiltrate the data. They don't even bother to encrypt the data anymore. They move straight to the exfiltration part. And that, experts tell me, is what we're likely to see more of in 2024. This is the story of how bad actors are using smash and grab techniques to get data that they'll extort later. And how commoditized all this is today so that anyone, anyone can get into the business. I'm Robert Famosi. This is Error Code. My name is Nick Biasini, and I am head of outreach for Cisco Talos. If you haven't heard about Cisco Talos, it's pretty good group, dating back to Cisco's SourceFire acquisition in 2014. So Cisco Talos is the threat intelligence organization inside of Cisco. Uh, the easiest way to think of us is if you have a Cisco security product and it blocks something, that most likely is because of Cisco Talos. Uh, we're kind of the, the content engine that drives detections in our products, as well as having uh, incident response offerings and service offerings to help customers defend themselves against adversaries. Security, it's always a moving target. What's secure today might not be secure tomorrow. And then there's the evolution within the malware community itself. For example, let's look at ransomware. I asked Nick to explain what he's seeing these days. So we're kind of in this interesting place generally with the ransomware landscape. So we kind of have two diverging paths right now. So you have these large, sophisticated groups that are attacking very large enterprises. They are increasingly looking more at extortion versus using ransomware. They're more concerned with the data than they are with the ransomware itself. On the flip side of that, what we're starting to see more of is 
what I like to call kind of like actors standing on the shoulders of those that came before them. So you have all these actors that don't really have the technical capability to write ransomware themselves. But over the last, I don't know, 6, 12, 18 months, we've seen a series of code leaks and various other things happening where builders have gotten leaked or ransomware code has gotten leaked. And now you have all of these smaller groups that have seemingly been able to take these, these things that have been leaked over the years or over the months, and they're able to modify them and launch their own campaigns. So what we're seeing now is these groups that are popping up that are targeting not these large organizations, but smaller groups, like small and medium businesses primarily, not asking for big ransoms. Like in some cases, it's only a few hundred dollars to a thousand dollars, but they're starting to become more and more prolific and and kind of hitting a group that has largely been um, ignored by the larger ransomware cartels because they were far more concerned with large targets in very large paydays as opposed to hitting a bunch of targets that are smaller and getting a bunch of smaller paydays. So if I hear that ransomware is down this year, would Nick agree that that's true? So it depends. <laughs> it depends on what what group you're looking at. So if you're looking at large enterprises, I would say that the focus is extortion. It's not on ransomware. But those large organizations have also spent millions and millions and millions of dollars on security technologies and protections to help defend against ransomware. If you're looking at small and medium businesses, I think they're actually being attacked more. But that's because the large cartels didn't care about them. They don't. They, they were after big paydays. These smaller groups are now going after these smaller firms and they don't have the ability to spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on technologies to protect themselves. And they're also far more likely to pay a thousand bucks to make a ransom go away to get their business back up and running. So high profile attacks, I would agree that ransomware is down, but I think over time, you're going to start to see more and more of these small and medium businesses getting hit. And more so, there's no reporting requirements for that right? They don't have to tell people that they were attacked. These big organizations that are public facing have reporting requirements. These other ones do not. So it's much harder to get a quantifiable data on these small and medium businesses that are being hit because honestly, they don't have the security protections in place that everybody else does. So I want to unpack a lot of that. There was a period when Ransomware would go in and it would encrypt very quickly just to shut down the network and to exact a ransom. So I'm a little surprised to hear that the trend today is on extortion and not ransomware. It seems like to copy the data off a system, there needs to be a longer period. So what we're actually seeing in the exfiltration space is a smash and grab. So what I what we've seen, and even in our own researching, we've seen like TA505 has built some tooling around data exfiltration. I think the tool is called Teleporter. And it basically allows them to run a single command on a box and it dumps every document of interest off of it. So it dumps every Word doc, every PowerPoint presentation, PDF, anything that could remotely be interesting is dumped off immediately. So it's literally one command done per box. They just run a command and dump everything. They, after the fact, go through what they got. So it is very much a focus on exfiltrating data quickly. The reason being, and there's a couple of paths to this, one, Data exfiltration does not nearly require the level of access 
that is required to do large scale ransomware distribution. So if you're going to distribute ransomware across an enterprise, you're likely going to need to be sitting on the domain controller or have domain admin access in the environment. To find and exfiltrate data, you do not need that level of access. So it is a lot less noisy and provides less avenues for detection. The second side of this is these groups in particular are hitting very large organizations. At this point, most large organizations have mechanisms in place to roll back ransomware infections. There is no rollback from data exfiltration. If the data left your network, it's gone. There's no way for you to roll back from it. So there's not a lot of added pressure that you're gonna put on a victim by ransoming their data. If you've already exfiltrated their data, you've already put an undue amount of pressure on these victims. Deploying ransomware is just an annoyance to them. So from their perspective, it's like, why do I need to go to that step? So these criminal organizations, they're capable of storing data while they're extorting the target? Yes, they're, they exfiltrate the data remotely immediately. So it's like the data's gone. As soon as they're on the box and they run that command, the data's gone. It's already off box. So they have all of this data stored remotely. That is not an issue for them. They're dumping terabytes of data at all times without, without much concern. Storage generally is cheap, so it's not, it's not a big deal for them. So maybe we shouldn't call this ransomware anymore. Maybe we should call it extortionware. <laughs> well, so you're still being ransomed. It's just a different type of ransom, right? They're ransoming your data in a different way. It's not, it's not that we encrypted, it's that we stole it. So we're holding it ransom, except instead of you holding it, holding it ransom in your network, we're now holding it ransom on our network, if that makes sense. So I imagine in the negotiation process that they would reveal that they're actually having some of this data. Yep, that is that is exactly how it goes. Is it's like here's here's a sample of what we have. Here's a couple of emails or a couple of documents or whatever the case. In some cases, they'll be like, if you want a specific file, like if they depending on how much data they have, like. If you want me to provide you a specific file, give me the file name and I'll go find it for you. Like that, that is the the level, depending on the level of compromise that you're talking about, that is the level of detail they can provide. So I was originally pitched on this idea that we were going to talk about the rise of criminal hackers in Southeast Asia, not the Lazarus group from North Korea. I was told we'd be talking about maybe Vietnam and some other Southeast Asian countries. Well, so you kind of have to look at it as two divergent paths. So the 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 groups in Southeast Asia that are doing the low value things, they don't care about extortion. They're not concerned with extortion at all. They're doing pure ransomware plays at this point. We're not seeing any extortion capability out of them. And the other thing to keep in mind is just because to us, uh, a few hundred or a thousand dollars is not a lot of money does not mean that the people in these regions where they're operating, that is a significant amount of revenue. And if they're able to do that, you know, repeatedly, they're going to have a very, very uh, healthy income off of this activity and be able to to live comfortably in these countries. So it, it, it's kind of a different, like one is very much driven on very large organized crime where they're launching large attacks and expecting huge payloads. And another one is someone who's making a living deploying ransomware effectively in small scales, but in where they live, it equates to a very large amount of money. If I heard Nick correctly, the larger organizations are moving toward the exfiltration and extortion. And these smaller groups, say in Southeast Asia or somewhere else, they're still doing the traditional ransomware. 
And to do that, they're using the breadcrumbs from leaked ransomware, and they're cobbling it together as opposed to, well, writing their own ransomware. Exactly. Writing ransomware is very hard, but taking ransomware that's already written and modifying a little bit is a much, much lower bar. And that's what we're seeing is there's a lot more actors able to clear that bar than there are that can actually write ransomware from scratch. So Vietnam, it's had some malware in the past, and I guess that shouldn't surprise me. Are there other Southeast Asian countries that Nick is seeing ransomware coming out of? So that entire region has a lot of actors in this space. This particular time, the actor was nice enough to tell us the hours that they worked. So it it made it a little bit easier to try and narrow down where they were located. But yeah, that entire region, because of the nature of this activity, it opens the door to a lot more actors. So right now we see activity in Southeast Asia. Obviously, historically, we've seen a lot of activity out of Eastern Europe and Russia related to the larger ransomware cartels. It is entirely likely that you're going to continue to see various geographical regions pop up because it is far more accessible than it used to be. And you're seeing it, you've seen it in other areas and other aspects of crimeware over the years. But as the capabilities get broader and broader accessibility, we start seeing a lot more groups like take fishing. Fishing used to be a much more difficult area to get into. Now there's a million fishing kits out there. There's greatness. There's all these other things. So you see a huge amount of actors operating in that space now. And what about Latin America and all of that? What about Africa? Um, Not specifically around the ransomware space. Uh, the, a lot of the activity we've seen in out of Africa has been more on like email uh, account abuse or business email compromise like that's been really the bread and butter coming out of that region uh but that that's not to say that the groups don't exist it's just i haven't seen them make a lot of noise yet so i'm probably going to get in trouble by saying this but when we talked about rapid exfiltration of data i was wondering if any of this has to do with info stealers uh so info stealers are are a slightly different animal uh they do commonly exfiltrate data, but it is much more a single infection removal. So the the way to kind of look at it is an info stealer gets installed on a box and the data is exfiltrated off of that box. The difference with the ransomware and extortion cartels is there's an actor actively doing work. So they're moving around and hitting a whole bunch of systems. They're going to go in and access every system that they can and work to try and dump as much data as possible. An info stealer is much more focused on the system it was installed on because it's done in an automated manner as opposed to like an actor on keyboard. So when we talk about info stealers, we're mostly talking about credentials. Is that correct? Yes, but the info stealers now have started to branch out more and more. So it started with primarily credentials. Now they've added in, they're always looking for session cookies because that's a good way to bypass MFA. They've started exfiltrating data off of the image, off of the system, including things like images. Like it can grab PDFs, Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, images, and take all that stuff off the box. It also, speaking of the crypto mining stuff, a lot of them have specific interest in crypto mining. So they're doing things like looking for crypto mining wallets or things that they can steal to eventually gather the the coins that are in these wallets. So they're going to steal not just your credentials. They're going to steal your files. They're going to steal your session cookies. They're going after your cryptocurrency wallets. They're going to take as much data as they can. And interestingly, one of the most common ways that we see ransomware and extortion cartels gaining access 
is through credentials compromised via info stealers. So info stealers and, and phishing are great initial starting points for where these groups can buy access. So it's easy. If they already have credentials, it's easy to say, I'm just going to pay you, you know, a little bit of money to get access, or I'll give you a cut of what the original or what the final ransom will be if you give me these credentials to let me do my harm. A lot of these attacks that Nick is talking about, well, they're using an MSI builder called Advanced Installer, right? Uh, we see adversaries do this a lot. So Trojanized installers are a great way to get people to install things. And then posting those Trojanized installers in a variety of places. We've seen it in malvertising where it, it shows up in things like web searches. We've seen it show up on like illegal file sharing sites. We've seen it show up in like Discord channels and various other places for people to download. So they have a variety of mechanisms to try and deliver this, but it's very appealing especially when you have you know, software that costs thousands of dollars and then you have someone saying, hey, here's a free version to download. A lot of people are gonna be like, well, I'll check out the free version. What's the worst that could happen? Not realizing that they're installing something malicious on their computer. Okay, so the bad guys, they're trojanizing the app so that say I'm an architect and I've got this big project coming up and I need to use a particular app. So I download some CAD software and it starts crypto mining. Am I going to notice that? I mean, isn't there going to be a performance decrease with all of that? It, it really depends on the sophistication of the actor. So okay. one of the things that we've seen is things like uh, making sure that the screensaver is active or making sure that you cap the capabilities during certain hours. So like, I'm only going to mine at night because I know that you're likely to work during the day. You're less likely to work at night. So it largely depends on the sophistication of the actor. Some actors do not care. Like they're just going to throw whatever they have at it as, as quick and as much as you possibly can. Other actors are a little bit more careful. In this particular case, we don't have a lot of visibility into how careful that they were being, but it you you're right. In a normal case, if a user installs this, now the caveat is if you're installing a new piece of CAD software, are you sure it's the CAD software that's doing it or the mining that's doing it? That That is almost the genius in doing this is you're already downloading something that's going to heavily impact your GPU. So are you sure it's not just the new application that you downloaded or is it the crypto miner in the background that's doing the, the bad things? Okay, crypto mining is interesting. You need a lot of compute resources in order to mine a coin. So for crypto mining to target verticals, that makes sense to me. For example, say you want to go after architecture or engineering firms. Why? Because they'll have a lot of GPU capabilities. And I can see where it makes sense that maybe they would be attacked first. Yes, it's it's very much um, using a target of opportunity. So what we saw in this case was uh, they actually went so far as to like trojanize installers for popular programs. So you would it would effectively look like you're just taking advantage of someone, say, doing a Google search for a particular application and not really vetting where it's coming from and just like clicking links and downloading stuff, that is where we'll commonly see this type of activity pop up. But it is very purposeful. I mean, the, the software that they're targeting is designed to be used by individuals that are likely to have big GPUs attached to their computers. And from a mining perspective, that's where all of your revenue comes from. If you're able to 
to hack a computer that has a massive GPU rig and leverage that to mine, you're going to make a ton more money than if you end up just infecting random people that just have basic computers or like a us you know, an older person that doesn't game or have any type of, of design software, they're going to have very limited throughput related to what they're able to actually uh, make revenue wise. So I would think that gaming would also be included. Well, it depends on targeting. So some of that may be, again, you talked about the impact that you would see to users. Gamers game at all times of the day and night, where if you're targeting a design firm, you're pretty certain that at night, nobody's going to be doing any work. So it, it creates an interesting target from that perspective to be able to say, okay, there's going to be a solid eight hours a day when I can safely mine this stuff as high as I can possibly take it. Because the odds of a design person working at 2 a.m. local time is very, very low. A gamer, that's a crapshoot. You never know if they're going to be you know, up gaming at 2, 3 in the morning. So crypto mining, it's still kind of a question mark in a lot of people's minds. They hear it, but they don't necessarily understand it. So basically, it's resolving a bunch of computational challenges to create not even a coin. It's a fraction of a coin. Yes, that is correct. Basically, they crowdsource the the large amount of CPU required to do the mathematical computations that you do. And as a payment for that, you're given fractional pieces of coins as they are computed and, and, and uh, delivered. But in this case, you're not actually given the coin. The attacker gets the coin. Yep, absolutely. So the, basically what they do is they, they crowdsource their own CPU, GPU pool to use, which then gets applied to the, to the mining or the, uh, the actual mining pool and the, the computations that are done. So you know, typically what you do is you connect up your own computer and you use that as a way to do this, they just cast a much wider net and compromise a bunch of computers and then connect all of those computers using their unique identifier to, to be able to steal the revenue associated. So to mix a term, it's kind of like a botnet that's creating these coins. Yes, it's a botnet that requires zero management. So that, that's the whole thing with this is basically if they install it and it's running, then that's all they do most of the time. They don't care. Like they don't care about the system. They don't maintain access to the system. You clean it up and stop mining. There's not really an easy way to put it back on. They just they just keep compromising boxes and dropping miners and then letting them go off and do their own thing. So it, it's an interesting payload from that perspective in that it doesn't require care and feeding and additional access. So they can just kind of like, you know, set it and forget it effectively for lack of a better term. So there are a lot of different flavors of cryptocurrency. Is there one in particular that's taking advantage of this? Uh, so we see a wide variety of coins used. Uh, one of the things that we'll commonly see is Monero, but that's largely because of the security protections that are in place. And it's one of the, the coins that's specifically built to use CPUs instead of GPUs. In this case, we didn't see Monero because this is designed to leverage GPUs, Monero is 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 one of the ones that's specifically designed for CPUs. But there's so many out there right now; it's it's hard to keep track of how, which ones are currently being mined the most. Okay, that's interesting to me. Monero, which is using common CPUs rather than gaming GPUs, that's one of the more secure coins out there. So Monero is the one that we see most often, but that's because I'm looking at it from a malicious standpoint and most campaigns are targeting CPUs. So 
they're they're not looking for those specific computers or GPUs. So from my perspective, I see a lot of Monero, but that doesn't mean that there's not like Bitcoin is the most well-known and the most valuable. So that continues to be probably the most widely mined, but it also requires the biggest amount of commitment to be able to get revenue out of it. So we don't see adversaries using it all that often anymore. So going back to ransomware and InfoStealers in particular, Talos has reported on the Sapphire Stealer. So Sapphire Stealer is actually interesting. To me, it's interesting because it's almost a case study on what happens when tools get open sourced. So in, in, a, in a weird thing, we basically were able to see when Sapphire Stealer was open sourced and published on GitHub and then watch actors pick it up and then start modifying it to their own whims and, and needs. So like we see this initial info stealer be published online and made available. And then we start seeing people pick it up and they start adding features. Like somebody adds the ability to use Discord webhooks as an exfiltration method or use another mechanism to do various types of communication. And it really shows how adversaries don't necessarily write code from scratch but how quickly and willing they are to pick up what other folks have done and modify to their own needs. It actually dovetails nicely into the previous conversation about what actors did with the ransomware that's leaked. This is just a, yet another example of how adversaries can do this and how it really lowers the bar, right? Writing an entire piece of malware from scratch is not easy, but taking what's already there and adding functionality or making it a little bit better or customized to your needs is a much, much easier ask. And it's something that threat actors really run towards. So this is interesting as well. We should probably talk through the fact that a lot of people think ransomware is deposited on their system the moment that they see the ransom notice. In reality, it's been on their system for several days. Actually, more likely than not, it starts with a different attack. Uh, it, there's kind of a couple of different ways, you know, adversaries will use active exploitation. They'll find weaknesses or mistakes you've made in your environment, but more so they're just going to look to buy access to legitimate credentials. So it's one of the reasons why I harp so much on things like phishing campaigns and info stealers is far too often. They're like, oh, there was an info stealer dropped on this box. We re-imaged the box. Let's move on. The problem is, is there was a whole bunch of credentials that were exfiltrated off of that network when that initial infection occurred. And what we see is those credentials make their way into marketplaces or forums where threat actors can buy them. And for a very, very small investment, they can basically buy those credentials. And now you've gone from an info stealer attack to the credentials being exfiltrated to a threat actor buying it an initial access broker, and now you potentially have an affiliate using that to log in. And now you're dealing with a sophisticated adversary with valid credentials on your network. And those are the actors that are going to be exfiltrating data and eventually dropping ransomware. So it is very easy to go from something as simple as a phishing attack to actually having ransomware deployed because the credentials change hands and end up in the hands of an adversary that can really do damage. And these pieces, they don't have to be connected. In other words, there are people doing phishing attacks and there are the info stealers and so forth, but they're not all related, right? No, not at all. And a, a lot of people, a lot of criminals don't want to get their hands into this ransomware landscape because there's lots of law enforcement attention and risk associated with it, but they will gladly help feed it 
for to generate their own revenue. So if they're running a big info stealer, a bunch of info stealer campaigns, and they have huge amounts of credentials, they will gladly sell those credentials to other folks for them to go do their their ill-gotten gains. And it gives them kind of a level of abstraction. So they're not actively logging in doing the ransomware deployment, but they're still benefiting from all the revenue that's out there. Because let's be honest, when you're talking about at least tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, you're going to get the attention of a whole lot of criminals when you start throwing around that kind of money. So you mentioned law enforcement attention. I'm wondering if putting large financial bounties for any information associated with certain criminal attacks has sort of put pressure on the industry to break it up. Not not particularly. So it's kind of a weird landscape because most of the actors in the landscape don't at all expose their actual identity, but they very heavily rely on their monikers and their their kind of reputation in these environments. So they're typically very good about protecting their behind the scenes identity, but they need to maintain those same presences, the same names, the same handles, because that's where a lot of your clout comes from, right? How respected you are in a community has to deal with who you are, what your reputation is, and what you've done. So it it doesn't really motivate them by exposing information. Like I haven't seen a huge amount of movement behind the scenes. Obviously, if someone's name gets exposed publicly, they will tend to get very nervous. But in a lot of these organizations and a lot of these individuals, it's not like they have to worry about someone bashing in their door right? They're, they're kind of operating in a space where, man, it, it sucks that I can't go travel to these countries, but I'm not really at that much of a risk of actually being arrested, if that makes sense. I'm just thinking about high profile arrests, say of our evil or the fact that Conti blew up. And now we have smaller players out there in the field. There's definitely a fracturing going on. Uh, again, the bigger issue is these very large groups attract the attention of law enforcement. It's not so much about like the individuals. It's that realizing if you're attached to this big brand and you start compromising all these victims, a bunch of law enforcement is going to come after you. So there's not a huge amount of value in, in trying to maintain this big brand. And on top of this, behind the scenes, the affiliates are the ones that drive the TTPs. The TTPs are tactics, techniques, and procedures that we see in an attack. MITRE ATTACK is one framework which attempts to identify all the tactics, techniques, and procedures that we have seen so far and map them to particular threat actors, even to particular industries, so that security teams can look for these signs of impending attack. Now, what Nick is saying is that these TTPs are for hire and not necessarily associated with one APT or another. It's not the ransomware at the end. And the affiliates move all over the place. So just because they're walk, working for one cartel doesn't mean another cartel isn't going to come in and offer them a better percentage. So it's hard because the actors behind the scenes move all over the place. So if you have TTPs associated with our evil, all of a sudden they show up over here on Blockbasta and all of a sudden they show up over here in Conti. And then they show up in this other ransomware. And it's because the affiliate who actually possesses the TTPs is the one that's moving between all these different cartels. So that must make it hard. I mean, we all talk about identifying APTs and giving names to groups and such, but if they're all shifting around, then they're all going to be different, right? 
yes, it, it's it's a tough problem. And that that's one of the reasons why we look so much at detecting the, the TTPs more generically, right? Looking for the commonalities in the TTPs and really going after those TTPs because you're going to hit a whole bunch of ransomware families if you're looking at the TTPs. It's great to have ransomware protections in place, but it's better to detect it before it gets to that point. Once they get to ransomware, it's game over already. You want to detect it before they get domain admin. You want to detect it as they're moving around the network, as they're exfiltrating data, not when they're just deploying ransomware and then you're already hosed at that point. One group out of North Korea is Lazarus, and they've stolen hundreds of millions of Bitcoin over the years. We recently published some stuff on Lazarus as well. That's another key call out. It's kind of interesting. Um, we're seeing more usage of kind of tooling collapse and more reliance on open source technologies, which is something that we've seen more broadly across the landscape as well, where at least when we're, we're talking initial access, sophisticated groups are using more generic tooling. They're in an effort to try and blend in with the noise. Everybody's kind of starting to use the same tooling when it comes to initial access. Once you move beyond that, the sophistication and the, the capabilities differ drastically, but we really are starting to see more and more collapse around the ways initial access works on the value of credentials is increasingly important. It's not just the ransomware groups that are trying to buy access into networks. There's a lot of credential gathering going on from state-sponsored groups as well. It is far better to log in with legitimate creds than to try and exploit a box remotely. I'm wondering if Nick has ever seen anybody try to emulate the Lazarus group or any other more famous APT using their TTPs to suggest that it's a state-sponsored attack when in reality, it's just a bunch of criminals. I haven't seen that particular example. If you go back a few years, there was like a Olympic destroyer where there was a whole bunch of false flags that made it look like three or four different groups. We have definitely seen that type of behavior where it's like, I'm going to throw TTPs in there that don't make sense because I'm trying to kind of cloud that attribution. But that's that's the reason why they're using those same open source tooling and things now is it's like, wait a minute, this is used by these five criminal organizations and these seven state sponsor groups. So how do I know who's operating? I won't until it gets further down into the infection. So I asked Nick if he had any parting thoughts on where the threat landscape might be going in a few years. There's a couple of things that are concerning to me, like the, the stuff that's going on with mercenary or commercial spyware is very concerning because we're starting to see more and more deep level access to devices. And we published some research a while ago on some driver abuse, and there's been more and more attention on drivers and certificate abuse. Those are two very big problems that the industry is going to have to deal with at some point or another. Those are the things that are very concerning to me. But there's also this constant drum of the crimeware landscape and these ransomware and extortion cartels having continued success in generating very, very large sums of money. It, there doesn't seem to be a, a, a shift underway to, to limit that in the future, which is also pretty concerning. I'd like to thank Nick for coming on the show and talking about divergent paths with ransomware and the emphasis today on exfiltration in particular. I'd also like to thank him for talking about the Sapphire Stealer and Fostealers in general. Hey, 
If you're enjoying Error Code, tell a friend. I'm sure there are other people out there who like narrative information security podcasts. And I'd really like to hear from you. DM me at robertvomosi at infosec.exchange on Mastodon and tell me what you like and even what you don't. Hey, I've got some great episodes coming up, including using EDRs to attack enterprises, breaking the GitHub pipeline, and more on IoT and OT, of course. Subscribe today. I don't want you to miss out.